Well, I want to read uh, one more time to you from the Lord's Prayer, uh, this prayer that we have that Jesus taught us to pray with, that he guides us in prayer with. He doesn't leave us to figure prayer out on our own, but instead guides us uh, with his own words. So let me read to you from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And if this was one more week where you said, man, I need help praying, well, the Lord has help for us in praying. Lord Jesus Christ says to us, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then you'll notice the shift from your, your, your to our, our, our. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, your word is a balm, and I pray it would be a balm to your people. Lord, all of the people here without you are frazzled and like sheep without a shepherd. Even with you, we can be hard-pressed, we can be perplexed, we can be afflicted, and I pray that you would come and comfort your people. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you were to join my family on a road trip, you would learn uh, something, uh, I like to think it's endearing, but it's probably actually comical or annoying about me. I have absolutely, almost absolutely, no sense of direction. Uh, time and time again, throughout my marriage, I have arrived at a corner of confusion, and I announced to my very directionally competent bride, I think we should turn left here. And after 25 years of marriage, she looks at me with a look that kind of says, it's shocking how unshocking this has become. And then she says, actually, you need to turn right. And she's really basically always right. In fact, what's happened now, this has actually become a piece of wisdom to me. Now when I'm alone and I arrive at an intersection where I don't know which way to go, and I feel very strongly that I should go one way, I actually intentionally choose the opposite way. And it works for me. I, I, it's over and over and over. She says, my wife says, God must have put that in backwards in your head. Now thankfully, because of the smartphone, I always have a piece of technology with me that tells me how to get home. I have a homing device on me at all times, a device that tells my confused brain which way to go. And the Lord's Prayer, which we're studying, is really a lot like a homing device. It really orients our souls, and I may be confused about which way to go on the roads, but all of us are confused about which way to go through life. We get disoriented, we get turned around, we don't know which way is right and which way is wrong, and we need a homing device, we need something that keeps us on track, and the Lord's Prayer, I think, is just the whole Bible really, but especially the Lord's Prayer, has this amazing ability to center our souls on what's most important. 
the first three requests of the prayer move our souls to focus on God's cause. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So we might be all about ourselves, and the Lord's prayer keeps bringing us back to a life that we were meant for, a life that's all about God and His cause and what He's doing in the world. And then the last three requests all really remind us not of God's cause so much as God's care. It's amazing how much of this prayer is just about what we need. Lord, provide our daily bread, our forgiveness of sins, our deliverance from evil. And so in the midst of a chaotic world, the Lord's Prayer, as we pray it, uh, not mindlessly, but mindfully, as we pray it daily, is just constantly reordering and reorganizing and recentering our soul on what matters most. Because life in this world is like Peter walking on the waves. You jump out as a Christian to walk on the water, and then the waves come up and we begin to sink. But when our hearts are focused again and again and again, which is what we're doing every Sunday morning, when our hearts are focused again and again and again on Christ, we're reoriented and we're led all the way home. Now, the phrase in the Lord's Prayer that we're looking at this morning is one that really should set the direction of our souls in every day of our lives. It's a homing device that will set your heart in the right direction all throughout your life. It's the simple prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can just feel how radical that is. The world is full of about seven billion people all bent on their wills. And here's the Lord Jesus telling us that at the center of our soul, there ought to be this prayerful desire not for our wills to be done, but for His will to be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what every Christian should be thinking about every time they're called to make a decision. This is a huge guide. Don't skip over that. We, we all make hundreds of decisions a day, some of them bigger than others. But there's really just one guiding principle in each of them. Lord, your will be done. And let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if we're going to pray this prayer throughout our lives, it will help us to know a little bit more about what God's will is. And to understand God's will, we need to understand that the Bible speaks about God's will in two, really three, but we'll get to that third one later. It speaks about God's will in two very distinctive ways. And I'm going to tell you the theological titles for these because I think it's helpful for you to have these in your mind and they're the easiest ways for me to keep referring to them. But the Bible will speak about uh, God's will in a way that theologians describe as His decretive will, His decrees, what He declares will come to pass, His counsels, His purposes, His plans that He predestines from before the foundation of the earth. So the Bible speaks to us about God's will in terms of what God sets in motion and plans to do and intends for all time and eternity, His decretive will that flows from what He decrees. And then it speaks to us about God's will in terms of His 
prescriptive will. What does he prescribe? Doctors write us prescriptions to tell us what they think we ought to take, what we ought to do, and Christ and the Lord God prescribes for us, tells us, commands us what we're called to do. And the Bible speaks about God's will in these two ways. And we're going to see that even the testimonies we heard this morning, they're all the interplay of those two realities. That God has a definite set decree and plan, His will, and then He also has a definite desire, a want, for what we are called to do. Let's just think for a little bit about what we mean when we say God's decretive will. And really, as we look at it, we'll eventually come back and say, so how does that affect our prayers? If God is a God who decrees what He wills, how does that affect me when I pray, Your will be done? The first thing I want you to know is that God decrees, God's decrees, and if this seems heady and up there, oh, I'm preaching it all wrong, because there's a balm in Gilead. There, There is consolation for our souls, and it comes from understanding what's running the universe and what's ruling and reigning in our lives. So God's decrees are ultimately what determine everything that's done in the world. There's nothing that happens in the world that isn't ultimately set in motion and brought to pass by God's decrees. Ephesians chapter one, verse 11 says, God is the God who works all things according to the counsel of His will. All things are being governed by the will of one being, by God Almighty, who is able to desire and to accomplish anything He wants. The Lord is in the heavens, He does whatever He pleases, and all things are proceeding according to the counsel of His will. Everything that was created was created and exists by the will of God. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. If you exist, which you do, it is by the will of God. You have not slipped into the universe unannounced. You are here by the will of God. You are the desire of God for you is for you to exist. Now, not only are we created by His will, but all things happen according to his unchangeable decrees. King Nebuchadnezzar uh, was a proud man who learned about God's will the hard way. King Nebuchadnezzar ruled over one of the greatest civilizations that ever existed. He was the ruler over one of the most glorious cities ever to grace the face of the earth. And he looked at this city and he said, look at Babylon, which I created for my glory. And God said, you would do well to have seven years looking a lot like a cow. And he dropped him to all fours and had him walk around in the rain for years. And when it was all said and done, and he was restored to his senses, Nebuchadnezzar said, the most high rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. 
He understood that he didn't put himself in this powerful place, and whatever powerful place you're in, you didn't put yourself in. Whatever lowly place you're in, even your decisions aren't the ultimate factor that got you there. It is God who raises up and God who puts down. God is the one who rules all things according to his will. The opportunities you have or don't have all come from God, and God, beloved, is strong-willed. He determines everything and works everything according to the counsel of His will. Now, if I just say that, you might get the impression that God is a hard despot, that He's some sort of tyrant. I just said it, and that's the way it's going to go. And you might get the sense that His sovereignty is a hard sovereignty. But the reality is that the sovereign God who does everything according to His will moves in all of history with a redemptive heart. He moves in all of history aiming to redeem, aiming to save, aiming to work everything bad in His people's lives for good. Again, so many stories of this in the Bible. You remember Joseph. Joseph was a man, if you read the Joseph story, last third of the book of Genesis, go read the Joseph story. If you ever want to read something that looks like this guy is out of control, nothing is in this guy's control. His brothers sell him into slavery, then he winds up a slave in a home where a woman accuses him of adultery, then he winds up in prison, he asks some people if they can help him get out, they forget about him. He winds up number two in Pharaoh's court. He winds up in the exalted place of all of the greatest civilization of that time. And then his brothers come begging him. The same brothers that sold him into slavery come begging him for a little food. And because all this happens, Joseph is able to say to them these amazing words. To his brothers who sold him into slavery, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. There may be people working in your life for evil. You may have worked in your life for evil. There may be situations beyond your control that seem like they can only bring you harm, but there is a sovereign God over the entire universe able to bring everything for your good. That's the reality, and He does this for those who are called according to His purpose, those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, you want proof of this? Maybe you don't know the Joseph story very well. You want the ultimate proof that God can work all things together for good, that His sovereign decrees rule the world? What's the worst thing that ever happened on this planet? It's the death of Jesus. It's the crucifixion of the only perfect man who ever lived. And in Acts chapter 4, there's this new band of Christians, and this new band of Christians is getting persecuted, looks like their lives out of control. So what do they do in prayer? They go to God in prayer when it's looking like everything's out of control, and they remind God that even when everything looks like it's out of control, everything's only unfolding according to His plan. 
And what they say to him is they say, Sovereign Lord, truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. What, what were Herod and the Gentiles and Pontius Pilate aiming to do? They were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It's an amazing thing. Now, in football or in judo or in other martial arts, you have to learn how to use the energy your opponent is bringing out at you against them. And God's the master of this. They come at Jesus with all they've got, even to kill him. And every single ounce of their hatred only works to accomplish their salvation. So that if they would come to believe in him, they would be saved. The one they crucified is actually crucified for sinners like them. Now, if that's not the ultimate, majestic, overarching, sovereign goodness over the world, I don't know what is. Everything is being accomplished according to his sovereign will. That's why Romans 8.28 can say this to the Christian. We know that for those who love God, all things, take the things that seem the most out of control in your life, the most unfixable, the most unsolvable, the most untamable, and place them there under this phrase, all things, okay? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Every single person whose destiny has ever been set by God to be saved is then called the salvation. Salvation. And every single person who's ever called to salvation is then justified. And every single Christian who's ever justified never makes it halfway to heaven. They always go all the way and they are glorified. This is the sovereign decree of God. This is the determined plan of God. This is what's ruling the universe. Satan can't overthrow it. The Gentiles, the Pharisees, Pontius Pilate, all the nations of the earth raging can't overthrow it. Your sins can't overthrow it. There is nothing that can break the sovereign, powerful work of God to do good, ultimate good, to everyone who has ever believed in Jesus Christ. We know God's decree. It includes all things. It starts at creation. It can handle evil. It works all things for good. We know that. We know, because of that, where everything is going in the universe all the time. And we live our lives generally almost completely in the dark when it comes to the details. And just for the record, God likes to work generally in a way that you can almost not possibly perceive how this could possibly be going well. He loves to take the underdog position. 
He loves to be down by 50 points at the half. It's the way he loves to operate. And it's where he builds faith in his people. There's a marvelous book, there's a marvelous verse in the book of Deuteronomy that reminds us that even though we know everything runs by God's decree, and we know where God's decree is going, he has chosen to make almost none of the details accessible to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. Do you catch that? There's secret things and revealed things. Revealed things, don't murder. Revealed things, I'm working out a redemption. Revealed things, I'm going to take all my people to the promised land. Secret things, cancer has a good part to play in this. The loss of a child has a role to play in this. You not having any idea what God's doing in your particular life right now has everything to do with this. He doesn't generally tell us how the details of our life are working together for our good. They are, but they're kept in the heart of God. And they're kept in the knowledge of God. Uh, many of you saw the musical Hamilton either on the stage or uh, on TV. And if you're like me, and if, if you haven't seen it, sorry, here's a spoiler. He dies at the end. And I, I, knew, that, I knew that going in. I knew that was coming. But I basically didn't know anything between that and when it happened. And that's basically where we li live our lives. You know you're gonna die and here's what's even better. You know you're going to be saved when you do. And the rest is a secret. And the rest is a mystery. And um, that's why we can't charge through life arrogantly making plans. You don't know. And I don't know. Maybe that business investment makes you the next Bill Gates. Maybe it makes you the next person in the unemployment line. We don't know. We don't know. Maybe that prayer of faith for your healing makes you a mighty trophy of grace. And maybe you die six months later. We don't know. We don't know. It's a mystery. And we have not been given conclusive leadership from God's word about tomorrow, or for that matter, later this hour. Those things are God's. And they are a constant reminder 
His secrecy is a constant reminder of his sovereignty, and it's a constant call to trust him. You've been given enough reason to abundantly trust him, and you've been given enough opportunities to put that into practice. Think about how practical James's language becomes. James chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. I bought a franchise. It's worked in every city. It always makes a killing. I'm going to this town. I'm going to make my money. Maybe. Maybe. I talked to a brother. He has the gift of healing. He has seen so many people healed after they've prayed for him. I'm going to have him pray for me. I will be healed. Maybe. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, listen to the language, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. There's nothing unspiritual about saying that. You can't take by faith what God hasn't promised. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. God has an ultimate set will for the end of all creation. He has an ultimate set will for every believer. But as far as how we get there, we don't know most of it. And so we should say, we will get where we want to go if and only if God's wills. And that ought to lead to at least three things when we pray the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, your will be done, there should just be a humble awe. because we don't know all that will entail. It can be, it can be, it really can be years of revival, healings, miracles. It really can be and has been throughout the history of the world. We've seen that over and over and over. Uh, when I say a humble awe, you shouldn't take that to mean, so lower your expectations. We're gonna get God's will now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, when we put forward our request to God, He really is the sovereign who determines what the answer will be. Even to go back to the passage we looked at on spiritual gifts uh, from 1 Corinthians 12 last time, where it tells us to seek the spiritual gifts, and it tells us to seek earnestly that we might have them, even that we might prophesy. And then in that same passage, it says this, the gifts which God sovereignly appoints according to his will. So we ought to come to everything. Listen, you, some of you read fantasy, some of you read novels, some of you watch TV shows, 
some of you. Like, is there anyone here who doesn't do any of those things? Okay, so you're familiar with stories. But stories aren't just something we watch. There's something we're in the midst of. And we don't know how the turns are going to go. But there's a humble awe that in every step I take, every prayer I pray, God is going to work out his sovereign will. And not only should there be a humble awe in our praying, your will be done, but there should be a comforting consolation. There should be a comforting consolation. One of the normal Christian experiences is confusion. Did you hear me? One of the normal Christian experiences is confusion. No, I don't mean you're walking through life going, is Christianity true? Did Jesus rise from the dead? I'm not talking about that. Those things are fixed and set. But in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says we're afflicted, and he says we are perplexed. I love that image. Paul, throwing down Romans. Like, this guy knows everything about everything. He can explain the whole world to me. The human condition, the salvation of God, the history of the Jews and the Gentiles. He's got it all dialed. People have been filling libraries, commenting on Paul for 2,000 years now. He understands the big things. And he walks through life and he goes, I'm perplexed. Why did Demas, who was so powerfully used, walk away from the faith? Why, Lord, do I need a messenger of Satan to buffet me? It's confusing. It's confusing. And, and if, if we communicate to each other as a church, every time we interact with each other, that you ought to be in a place of perfect confidence about every area of your life, we'll, we will create an environment where there's no reason, no, no room to be a real Christian. There are times when God takes someone who's sick and heals them. And we marvel. And then we pray for the next person. And he doesn't. And if you've got the idea that God loves me or cares for me based on his particular working at that moment in your life, you will be, you, you will be a shaky individual. We've all seen this happen. Two people make the same investment or they have reasonable similar skills and one embarks on a career and it takes off and the other tanks. One parent invests in a child and you're like, that's parent of the century. And their kid's like, I didn't think so. And then you got another parent, you're like, that, you know, that was okay. Some decent parenting. And the kid's like, I just love them. I just, just want to do it. I just want to follow in their path. We don't control all of that, and it can be perplexing to walk in the middle of it, and it's comforting and confidence building to say, your will be done. Your will be done. You're the one real in the universe. Let your will be done. And then uh, finally, there's a confident submission that prays, your will be done, isn't there? 
When you know that everything is decreed by God, determined by God, the size of your body, the money in your bank account, the amount of pimples on your face, your health, your riches, your poverty, your opportunities. We can rage against that stuff. You want to turn an adult into a toddler? Having a little temper tantrum? Set them up against the sovereign will of God. And there's something extremely mature about learning to pray in all circumstances. Your will be done. Your will be done. Lord, take me onto the mission field. Your will be done. Lord, take me off the mission field. Your will be done. Lord, use my health so I can glorify you. Your will be done. Lord, in my sickness, glorify your name. Your will be done. And when I talk about submitting to the will of God, I'm not talking about submitting to it with a frustrated defeat. Right? Sometimes we can think we're being real spiritual when we go before God and we just say, okay, fine, you're God. It's sort of that take your ball and go home spirituality. Fine, you win. But God's not interested in just winning. He wants us to delight in his will. He's not going for what happened with Emperor Julian, the apostate. Sean O'Donnell writes, in the fourth century, the Emperor Julian, later known as Julian the Apostate, abandoned the Christian faith and sought to abolish Christianity, replacing it with the worship of the ancient gods of Rome and Greece. At the very height of his power, and as it looked as though the abolishment of Christianity could become a real possibility, he was wounded mortally in battle. The historians tell us how when he lay bleeding to death, he took a handful of his own blood and tossed it in the air saying, you have conquered, O man of Galilee. That's not Christian submission. That's not your will be done. The Christian's, Christian's submission, the Christian's your will be done looks a lot more like Sarah Edwards' response to the death of her husband, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, probably the greatest theologian, philosopher America's ever produced. Not a man without blemish, but a godly man, the great mind of God, perhaps the greatest theologian of revival who's ever lived. And he died fairly suddenly after, actually, I don't know how relevant this is in this day and age, but he, he wanted to show people, some of you know where this is going, uh, I didn't mean this to be a politically loaded comment, but he wanted to show people how good inoculation worked, the ancient vaccines, and so he took one and he died. Anyway, he died in what would seem to be random, what would seem to be out of control. 
And then on that sad occasion, Sarah Edwards, his wife, wrote a letter to their daughter Esther. And she wrote, my very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands on our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God and there I am and love to be. Your affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. That's not the kind of letter you write when you're just sort of mustering up faith at the last minute. That's the kind of letter you write after living a life of praying. Your will be done. So we'll stop there for this morning. We'll come back to God's prescriptive will next time. But let's just go over this one more time. And then we'll close. The world is not random. The universe you're living in is not out of control at all. I think it was R.C. Sproul who used to say, if there's one renegade or rogue molecule in the universe, then God is not sovereign, but there isn't. All things are working according to his sovereign plan. And his plan is generous and good. His plan has at the centerpiece of it that he sent his son to die for sinners on the cross. That he has decreed that his son would die to pay the penalty for our sins. And if you will trust in him, if you will believe in him, then the death of Christ, which was predetermined and predestined by God, will work for your salvation. You will be saved if you trust in Christ. God's sovereign will will be to not only save you, but to keep you and guard you and take you all the way to glory. Dear believer, if you're feeling like God got a hold of you at one point in your life, and now you're feeling like it's a little flimsy, a little shaky, let me encourage you with this. Your salvation does not depend ultimately on your strong will, but His. He who began a good work in you will carry it out till the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? His will rules the world and works all things together for good. Your confusion, your disobedience, your best years, your worst years, your hardest trials, your sweetest joys, they're all working together according to his sovereign will. And you're like, but I don't see it. That's because he hid it. You're not seeing it is not a problem with you. When God determined, listen, when my kids played hide and seek in our house, I could find them. Okay? The big 90-pound lump behind the curtains, I know who you are. Okay? When my kids play hide and seek, I can find them. But when God keeps a secret, you will not find it out. 
If he determines to not allow you to know every detail of how he's working, it's not because anything's going wrong. It's because he's setting the stage and creating the context where you're called to trust him. Where you're called to trust him. Where you're called to believe him. And you've got enough evidence to know you should. He's revealed enough for you to know he's good and to trust he's good, and so you can trust him with what he's keeping secret. It's a way he's spring-loaded the universe for you to be able to glorify him. You've shown me your salvation, Lord. I'm going to trust you with your secrets. I'm going to trust you're doing me good. I'm going to trust it all works out. Listen, when we get to heaven, it's going to be like, I mean, you know, there's so many books and movies out there where the, the plot is just so incredible and you're on the edge of your seat and you think it's so amazing, and then they wrap it up so lamely and you think, man, there's so few good authors in the world. You know, like they, it all comes together and you're like, man, not your life story. Not your life story. You'll be singing with Sarah Groves, I can't remember a trial or a pain. He did not recycle to bring me gain. You'll be thinking, you worked all things together for good. That's what you'll be doing. And in the meantime, you can pray with awe, your will be done. You can pray with a confident expectation. Who knows what you'll do? It's all going towards goodness. So Lord, your will be done. And you can pray even like Jesus in the garden with a confident submission. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for being our sovereign God. And we plead with you that you would please make us a people who can pray your will be done from the heart. Lord, we beg you that you would comfort us, that we would recognize it in our confusion, in the chaos, in the difficulty, in the trial, in the, in the wonderful times, in the answered prayers, you are working through it all. And we can keep trusting you, keep praying to you, trusting as we pray that you are even using our prayers to accomplish your unstoppable will. Lord, if there's any here who are strong-willed, show them that you are stronger-willed. And break their wills, not just by your raw power, but by your tremendous grace. We pray that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen.